today on this cold January 20, 20, 24 Sabbath morning. We praise the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that we can assemble as a called out body of the Ecclesia of Israel to worship God our Father in communion with Jesus Christ our Savior and the person of the Holy Spirit. We welcome everyone that is assembled here today in the name of Christ our Savior for the glory of His gospel, His kingdom, and His people. We'd like to join all the other Israelites, all the other Anglo-Saxon, Germanic, Scandinavian, European peoples that are scattered all over the Western world in remote corners of the earth. We welcome everyone. What a privilege it is to gather with the covenant people of our God, our heritage, and to know that the unconditional covenants and promises that God has made to his Israelite people remain as true today as they ever were in the day when they were proclaimed by the prophets and sages of old. The Bible is a book of covenant, covenants, it's a book of promises. The Bible is the story of Israel, and the story of Israel is not finished. It's just really beginning because we're now in the time of what might be called Jacob's trouble, but the best for Israel is yet to be. Be a dark time through Jacob's trouble, but there is light shining through the clouds of Jacob's trouble if we will just be faithful and diligent to hold on. We are so happy to be a people that believe in the divine inspiration and inerrant word of God. We are a Bible-believing congregation. And we welcome everyone here today to remind ourselves that God's Word is true today. It was true yesterday and it will be true forever. Jesus Christ the same today, yesterday, and forever. Hebrews 13, 8. The culture around us is changing. The world's in a state of great flux, but God remains the same. Jehovah does not change. His word never changes. His word is remaining steadfast, true, will always be true, now and forevermore. And we as a body of people are Reminded to be anchored in God's Word. The closer we remain tied to Scripture, the better our spiritual GPS will be working in a time of history such as we are now living. So we certainly want to welcome everyone on this 
beautiful January day to open your Bibles this morning. And we are going to, I'm going to be reading now a series of verses that will set the stage for where we are going. We have been in a series, it's entitled, Jesus Christ, True God, True Man. Now we all recognize, I think, that everybody knows here today that if you remove Jesus Christ from the Bible and from history, there's nothing left to hold on to. Just remember now that the conception, the virgin birth, the sinless life, the death and crucifixion, the burial of Jesus Christ, his descent into hell, into Hades, his resurrection from the dead, his bodily ascension into heaven, is only part of the story. Redemption is an unfolding drama. Redemption begins with the unconditional covenant of promise resting on the grace of God that was given to our father Abraham. And the reason that Israel will be a people today, tomorrow and forever is because of the covenant of grace that is grounded in the unconditional promise covenant made to Abraham, confirmed in Isaac, established in Jacob, and multiplied among his people. So today we live in the promise and the assurance that God's story with Israel is an unfinished story. Now, there's a lot of people living in our, in our world today who are aimless, drifting, no vision. They don't know who they are. They don't know where they came from. They don't know where they're going. They're lost people. They really are the lost sheep of Israel because they're lost in every sense. We need to pray for these people. We need to remember that just as this good brother from Indiana arrived here this morning, our God has not finished the story with his people. And those who are destined to know the truth will find the truth in God's appointed time. So we want to be faithful. Now in this series that we've been building on the life of Christ, Jesus Christ, true God, true man. It's difficult to understand that Jesus lived one man on this earth. Jesus was literally a man. In every sense of the word, he was a man. He was born from the womb of the Virgin Mary. He was both God and he was man. 
difficult for some people to understand. But the Bible tells us in John's Gospel, chapter 1, say it with me, in the beginning was the Word. Now, the Word is defined for us. We don't need to run to a concordance. We don't need to run to a commentarian. We don't need to ask a preacher. The Bible will interpret itself. The Word, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was made flesh. John 1, 14, and dwelt among us. We beheld his only, his glory as of the only begotten Son of God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word is with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. And without anything, and without him, was not anything made that was made. In him was the life, the life of man. The light shined in the darkness. And the light of Christ still shines in the darkness for those who are searching for truth in a very dark time of history. So today, as we open our Bibles, we'll be turning for a point of beginning to the book of Exodus, chapter number 33. We are in Exodus, chapter number 33 now, and we'll begin reading some verses from that chapter. Let us pray. God, our Father, Thou who dwellest between the cherubims, O merciful and eternal and ever-living, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Thou, O Father in heaven, who has formed the earth, the heavens, and the entire universe, look down now upon this earth and remember the plight of your people Israel. O Lord my God, they have laid Jacob's dwelling place a waste. Father, our enemies have exalted themselves above the very name and power of God. We ask you now, Father in heaven, as you have commanded us to do in the prophet Joel chapter 2 verse 17, let the priests, the ministers of God, weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, Spare thy people, O God, and give not thine heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? Father in heaven, we live in a country that is being overrun by the hordes of non-whites. Lord God, they seek to remove your people from this land. They seek to quench the life of every white person living in America, Lord God. And we know that you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
We look to you as the Savior. Father in heaven, we know that there is a battle unfolding in America today for the souls of the white people and the, and the future of America. Lord God, we know that our hope is in Thee, that our future, Lord God, is in Jesus Christ, His gospel, His kingdom, His promises, His covenants to His people. <clears throat> so we ask, Father in heaven, that you please come to our rescue. We know, Father in heaven, that no man is going to save us. No political power structure will save us. We know, Lord God, that money cannot save us. Politic, political power cannot deliver us. But Jehovah is the God of Israel. He can deliver us. We look to you now, Father in heaven, this morning. And Lord God, we know that the American people are looking for someone to lead us. We pray that you will be the leader. And whoever you choose in flesh to lead us. And right now, Lord God, it looks like the most persecuted man in American history is leading us in this dark hour. So I pray today that you will be with Donald John Trump. Be with his wife, Melania. Keep his son, Baron, safe. Father God, I ask you now, to help us to remember and know that Donald Trump cannot save this country. That Donald Trump is a man of flesh, but he is an indomitable man that has endured eight years of persecution, brutalized treatment, and he's still standing by your grace. By your grace, Lord God, He's still standing. We pray today, Father in heaven, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, may the adversaries that seek the genocide of the white race, that seek the demise of Donald Trump, and that seek, Lord God, nothing but a communist future for the white children of this land, Lord God, may the pit, may the pit they dig for Donald Trump and all who follow him become the pit into which they fall. Let the adversaries of evil fall into the pit, Lord God, that they dig for your children. Father in heaven, we humbly ask that you will help us to know that you are the answer. Jehovah, you are the answer. We pray now that you'll guide us as a covenant body of people to let our love of Christ shine bright 
In a world of darkness, let the true light of Christ shine in our, in our hearts, the way we live our lives. Help us to live by the moral standards of your law and to reflect the righteousness of Jesus Christ in every way that we know how. And God in heaven, we will trust you to guide us in Jesus Christ's name we pray. And for his sake, for his name, for his glory, and for his kingdom, we make our prayers. Amen. <clears throat> Reading now from the book of Exodus, chapter 33, if you'll join with me. We'll begin at verse number 12. Exodus 33, verse 12, together. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people that thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now the way that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto me, If thy presence go not up with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. Wow. And the Lord said unto me, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. I don't know if you counted the, night, the times the word grace appeared there. The word grace is one of the great terms of the Bible. It is the unmerited favor of God upon an ill-deserving people. That's Israel. The unmerited favor of God upon an ill-deserving people. Grace brought us to the beginning of this morning and grace will see us through the time of Jacob's trouble to the dawning of the kingdom and the unfinished story of God's children, the people of Israel. Now I want to call your attention to the next verses that we're going to read. Notice that God has called Israel to be a separated people. Now the world today, particularly in America, America is saturated with the idea of three words. The three words are diversity, equity, and inclusion. And they want everybody to be incorporated into the idea of diversity, equity, and inclusion, except white people. They're exceptional. We want to actually eliminate them from the earth. The vaccine, the vaccine, the 
injection that was distributed in the United States was carefully selected. The most virulent potions of that injection were delivered to the population centers that are mostly white with a grand design in mind. What do you think that design was? It's called genocide. Now folks, I would love to say here today that we live in a world where evil minds are not conspiring against God's children. But I would be wrong. And I don't want anyone to leave here today not knowing that if ever there was a day and time when God's children need to be doing what God told them to do, today is the day we are in serious troubled times. And God is looking to raise up a God-fearing people who will trust Him, who will trust Him for what He has written in Scripture. Believe Him that God, will, that God can be believed. We live in a country of rampant unbelief. People no longer believe. They don't believe in the divinity of Scripture. They don't believe that God has preserved His Word. They would like to have you believe that the Bible is a collection of mistranslated text. Well, let me tell you the Bible is true today. It was true a thousand years ago, and it'll be true when Christ returns to this earth. So stand on God's word, stand on his promises. So let's turn now again to, Deuter uh, to Exodus 33. And we'll pick up where we left off in verse 18. Now, you have to understand, folks, the words we're reading out of Exodus immediately follow the building of the golden calf. This was a very pivotal moment in the history of Israel. When they built the golden calf, and Moses came down from Mount Sinai, an angry Israelite. And he had the tables of the covenant in his hand, and what did he do with them? He broke all of the tables at one shot. Broke all those tables. Broke both tables of the law. And Moses made an appeal for God to save his people. They had built a golden calf, but Moses made a heroic, godly appeal that God not forsake his people. To remember the covenant made with Abraham. Now we're going to read something now. Moses wanted to talk with God face to face. So let's break into verse 18, Exodus 33. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Moses wanted to see the glory 
of the God of Israel. He wanted to see God. How many have ever thought about looking upon the person of God? And he said, verse 19, read with me. I will make all my goodness pass before thee. This is God speaking. And I will proclaim the name of Jehovah before thee, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. Now look at that verse and ask yourself, have you thought about it? God told Moses, you cannot see my face, for there shall no one look at me and live. Has anyone ever seen the face of God? I heard someone say never. And that's true. No one has ever looked at the face of God. But is that confirmed in the New Testament? It is. John the Apostle, chapter 1, verse 18. <coughs> no man has seen God at any time. Read it in your New Testament. I want you to look at John 1, 18. Let's be good Bible students. What does that verse say? Does it agree with what we read in Exodus 33? What does John 18, John 1, 18 say? Well, I'm going to read John 1, 18. No man has seen God at any time. Everybody sees that. Now we'll come back to the last, last part of that verse in a moment. But I want you to know, for the benefit of everybody here, the greatest story in the Bible is the story of the mystery of God and His revelation to His children. That is a progressive unfolding revelation. When Jesus walked this earth, he was the express image of the God that no one has ever looked at. Now you have, in our generation, I've met a world of Israelite people who pitch their tent, build their house, and sometimes a cathedral on the idea of the name Yahweh or Jehovah. There's a world of Israelites that never moved beyond the idea of the Old Testament tetragrammaton. The amazing thing about that is that no one has ever seen the face of that amazing 
eternal, ever-living, self-existing, uncreated being called God. No one's ever seen him. So that is why the verses that we read about earlier, we'll get to those in a moment, mean so very much. But let's read on. In Exodus 33, no man shall see me and live. The next verse thereafter. And the Lord said unto me, or the Lord said, now the word Lord is in capital letters, that's the tetragrammaton. We use the name Jehovah here because it's the name the 47 scholars of the King James Bible designated as the correct name. Others use the name Yahweh. We have no argument with them. Behold, there is a place by me. So God says, look, Moses, there's going to be a place for you to stand in the cleft of the rock while I pass by, but my face you're not going to see. It shall come to pass while my glory passes by that I will put thee in the cleft of the rock and I will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away mine hand and thou shalt see my back parts but my face shall not be seen. Now here's what it's, if there's a lesson here today, folks, here it is. I would love to have everyone in Israel, every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl, and every child know that the revelation of Jehovah into a body in the person of Jesus Christ is the single greatest event in all the history of time and eternity. The incarnate God who took on human form in the person of Christ. So the closer we draw, we draw to Jesus Christ, the closer we draw to the face of God who no one has ever seen. But one day that eternal being called God is going to come and dwell among his people. That's a promise contained in Scripture. Now, as I read some verses from the Bible today, I would like for you to think about this. The Bible says of Jesus, this is what it says. You can look these verses up if you choose. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, of Jesus, the Bible says, who is the image of the invisible God. That's who Jesus is. Look it up in Colossians 1, 15. Who is the image of the invisible God. The God whose face Moses was not allowed to look on. The Bible says Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, 
For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him. All things. And by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church. The firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell. So Jesus, visible Jesus on this earth, presented himself as the Messiah that was to come. And all through the entire Old Testament, Jesus is there, as we'll find out here in a little bit. But I want to give you that testimony that Jesus is the image of the invisible God in more than one scriptural witness. We could go to Hebrews chapter 1. You're familiar with the book of Hebrews. We ought to be because the Bible's a book to Israel who are the true Hebrew, Hebrew people. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter number 1 verse 1. Hebrews 1, 1. God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake unto us in the time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by who? What does your Bible say? His Son whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. That's Jesus. Who being the brightness of his glory, watch out now, Hebrews 12, Hebrews 1, verse 2. He being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his, say it. Come on, folks. Have your Bibles open and, re and let's, let's, let's read. Hebrews 1 verse 2. Who being, in the bright, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His. Of His, what does it say? Person. And upholding all things by the word of His power. When he had purged by himself our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Do you know that we could spend here, stand here and spend a lot of time proving from the Bible that when Jesus walked this earth, Jehovah Yahweh was here on the earth. And do you know what's sad? What's sad is that people yet in Israel have yet to unhinge from the tetragrammaton and know 
the one that represented him on earth in flesh, who was Jesus. Jesus the Christ, the anointed of God, the Messiah that was to come. He is the king of a kingdom. He is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. He is the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, the first and the last. So now, with those thoughts in mind, beloved, I would like to ask you, if you would, please, to join with me today in looking at some verses of Scripture that I think are very, very important. So if you will do that with me, I would like very much for you to turn to your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 3. Let's go to Ephesians chapter number 3, and we'll look at something that I think is very, very important. I'm going to go to Ephesians 3, verse 9. And to make all men see. All men includes all women, all young men, all young women, all boys and all girls. So boys, girls, men and women, what does God want us to see? Ephesians 3, 9. To make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world, what's that? A mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. Jesus is in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the word was made flesh. Without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus came to his people Israel in fulfillment of the messianic promises of the Old Testament. And today a world of Israelites have yet to recognize Jesus. They're still clinging to the old tetragrammaton. Nature of God who they will never, whose face they have not looked upon. In the one being of God, hear this now. In the one being of God, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is how many gods? One God. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is one God, but in the unity of his being, in the unity of who he is, his being, his nature, his essence, is Father and Son and Holy Spirit. It's no mystery. We're made in His image and after His likeness. Every one of us bear the image of that invisible God who created us. We are spirit, soul, and body. And God is one essence in three subsistences. One God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.
So I'm going to go now to Colossians 1, 26 and 27. Even the mystery, we're back to the mystery now, which have been hid from ages and from generations. What was hidden from ages and from generations? The revelation of the one true God into human form of the seed of Abraham to become a kinsman redeemer to save the people chosen in election before the foundation of the world. Even the mystery which had been hid from ages and from generation, but is now made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. The Gentiles, as everybody knows, in the New Testament, epistles are Israel in dispersion. You see that word Gentiles when it's part of the gospel story talking about Israelites that have been divorced set into dispersion which is Christ in you the hope of glory. And I'm going to read now from Colossians 2 I'm in Colossians chapter 2 now, verses 2 and 3. So if you'd turn to Colossians 2, 2 and 3, that their hearts might be comforted. I'd like to have your hearts comforted today. Be knit together in love. Love to your brothers and sisters, love to your God. And to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God. So what is the mystery of God again? Here it tells us, and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then dropping down to verse 9 and 10 of Colossians 2. For in him, Jesus Christ, that's who him is in reference to. Dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. What is the Godhead bodily? The, the word Godhead appears three times in the New Testament. And it has to do with the being of God. Who God is. We said last week that the created world around us tells us what God is. We do not need a Bible to know that there is a creator. We would, we would be able to discern by the visible world we live in that there's a creator. If there's a creation, there's a creator. If there's a designer, there's a design that he made. God designed the earth. He is the great designer. But when he revealed himself to his children, he took on their physical pedigree. When God took on human kind, it wasn't just any kind 
of flesh that he took on. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 13, For verily he took not on him the nature of angels. Jesus was not an angel. He was not a prophet. He was not one of the Old Testament prophets come back to life. Jesus was God that took on human form of the seed of Abraham to be a kinsman to the people that he came to save and to redeem. And so we read then, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power. That was Colossians 2, 9, and 10. Now with those verses in mind, church, let's ask ourselves this question. If Jesus is that mystery hidden from the foundation of the world, then we ought to know that Jesus, the Messiah that was to come, is found throughout the Old Testament Scripture. So how many believe that He is? If I turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 3, the promise of Genesis 3.15 is that someone... The woman's seed will one day crush the head, bruise the head of the serpent. That is the promise of Jesus. It's called the Proto-Evangelium. The first hint of the gospel. First hint that God would send a redeemer to his people. When Abraham offered up Isaac on the altar... His only son Isaac from the womb of Sarah. What did that prefigure? Who was little Isaac that carried the wood up to the top of Mount Moriah? Who was Isaac portraying? Jesus, who carried his cross to Calvary. Jesus is hidden all the way through the Old Testament. He's prefigured all the way through. We could spend all morning right up here in the book of Genesis giving examples of the events that prefigured Jesus. In Exodus 12, Jesus is the Lamb, firstborn, unblemished Lamb, whose blood would save the firstborn. Prefigured Jesus as the true Lamb of God. In Leviticus, Jesus is the burnt sacrifice. He's the sin offering prefigured on all the sacrificial offerings. Jesus shines through Le Leviticus. In Numbers 24, 17, Jesus is the star that would shine out of Jacob. He's the scepter that would rise up in Jacob. In Deuteronomy 18, verse 18, Jesus is the prophet. 
destined to rise up among his people as one of them to become the shining prophet of all time. Hebrews chapter 1 says that Jesus became the prophet that God spoke through in the New Testament. Joshua chapter 5, 15. Jesus is the captain of the host identified in Joshua chapter number 5, verse 15. All through the Old Testament, Jesus is hidden away to be revealed at the appointed time. That's why Jesus is not only the central figure of the Old Testament, certainly the New Testament, Jesus is the superstar of the Bible. Not to be subordinated to any other one. Jesus. To him be all glory and honor and power. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature is, which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all, then, all that are in them heard I say, Honor and glory and blessing and power be to him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. Revelation 5, 12 and 13. In the book of Ruth, Ruth's a wonderful book. Who portrayed Jesus in the book of Ruth? Boaz. Who is Boaz called in the book of Ruth a kinsman? Who did Boaz redeem? The woman he married. Ruth. Who will Jesus redeem at the, at the marriage supper of the Lamb? Israel. The only woman God ever loved. Now the denominational church world doesn't know who God married. They don't know that God married white Anglo-Saxon, Celtic, Germanic, Scandinavian, Gothic Israel at Mount Sinai. So they have Jesus marrying a multiracial woman at the end of the age. Shame on the preachers. They, they, they ought to know better. I think many of them do. Folks, you can go to every book in the Old Testament and you will find Jesus hidden away. You will find Jesus hidden away. In every book of the Old Testament, he's there. He's called the angel of the Lord that led Israel through the wilderness. Exodus 23, he's that angel that was to go before them and guide them in the way. Jesus, the focus of the Bible, Jesus, the focus of your life, for in him there is life everlasting.
He died for our sin. He washed us in his blood. In the few moments that we have left, church, if you will notice, it says in our worksheet, it's number four, the identity of the person of Jesus Christ, a mystery in the New Testament. Have you ever wondered why, when you open the pages of the Gospels, people did not know who Jesus was? You know that some of the people never did recognize him. Many, many Israelites never did accept Jesus as being the revelation of the one true God in human flesh. They never recognized him. But let's just look at Matthew 16, if you will turn there for a moment. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 16, let's just look at that real quickly. Matthew 16, I'm looking at Matthew 16, and I'm in verse 13. Matthew 16, 13. Hear ye, hear you. Matthew 16, 13, when Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now Jesus is talking to his disciples. They ought to know who Jesus is. And they said, well, some say that thou art John the Baptist. Some, Elias, or that's Elijah. And others, Jeremiah, Jeremiah the prophet. Or one of the other prophets. The apostles are admitting that nobody knows for sure, for certain who Jesus is. Do we know who Jesus is? Have you met him? Have you offered up your life in service, in sacrifice, in self-denial to Jesus? How many of us are holding on to the old tetragrammaton that we've never, we will never, we've never seen the face of the God of the tetragrammaton, but he revealed himself in Jesus Christ. And he says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take upon you my yoke, for I am meek and lowly in heart. You shall find rest unto your souls. Back to Matthew 16, and they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, yes. Verse 15, he saith unto them, but who, whom Say ye that I am. So Jesus said to the apostles, Look, I know what the people out there are saying, but who do you think I am? Who do you think I am? There's all, all the apostles that were there. We don't know how many exactly. But there was only one apostle who would dare venture the idea of who Jesus was. How many people in Israel today are bold enough to tell us who Jesus is? 
Have you told your children? How important it is to love, serve, worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter said, Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter identified Jesus as the anointed Messiah. The word Christ, the anointed one, the messianic fulfillment of the God that was hidden throughout the Old Testament, Jesus. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, Peter is not the rock. And a few days after this statement, Peter is going to deny Jesus three times. The rock is Jesus and his deity. That's the rock. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, folks, listen, I'm getting ready to make a promise here. That word that we just read is true. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Now, the church in our generation has abandoned God and Scripture, His law, His truth. But it doesn't mean that everyone that professes the name of Christ has abandoned Him. Because you and I have an opportunity to stand in the gap. We can stand in the gap and proclaim that God is true. The Bible is true. There are two genders, not 51. We can stand and proclaim that male and female, there is a distinction. We can stand and proclaim that homosexuality was a sin a thousand years ago. It's still a sin today. We can stand and say that abortion was murder a thousand years ago. It's still murder today. We can say that 5,000 years ago, the marriage defined by God is between one man and one woman. It's still true today. And only idiots and crazy people believe otherwise. Who is Jesus? Well, we're running out of time, but let's go to Luke 7, 19 real quickly. Luke 7, 19. Let me read just quickly. Luke 7, 19. Who is Jesus? Luke 7, 19. And John calling unto him two of his disciples sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? John the Baptist sent his disciples to examine the guy that appeared in the streets of Jerusalem called Jesus. Now, this is hard to understand. John the Baptist is a first cousin to Jesus. 
I have that right, I know he's related to him. John the Baptist did not know who Jesus was for certain. His disciples didn't know. And Jesus told them how to identify who he was. I'll not read the rest of those verses, but you need to. The New Testament people did not know who Jesus was. But God help us if we do not know who Jesus is. We have no excuse. It would be a shame for us not to know who Jesus is in our generation. And so I call into account the Gospel of John chapter 7. Chapter 7. John 7. I'm, I'm going to end this pretty quick. Just hold on. You've got you to watch this now. I'm in John 7, verse 1. And after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. His brethren therefore, his brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. For neither did his brethren believe in him. You find that very hard to believe, don't you? I do. That Jesus' own immediate circle of people did not know who he was. Don't think it's so strange because we have a lot of Israelites in the world today who do not know who Jesus is. We're no, there's many people that are no better off than those people that we're reading about here. They didn't know who Jesus was. They still don't know who Jesus is. Still don't know. Now folks, do you know that you can go make your way through the New Testament and validate over and over and over again people that did not know who Jesus was. And we're still trying to figure that out today, unfortunately. So we'll close our Bibles today and we will ask ourselves the question, can there be anything greater today than to know the person of Jesus Christ and to be in right standing with the Son of God? Unto him that hath washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion both now and ever. Amen. Jesus said, 
in his own words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let's all be standing and let's leave here welded to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And I do.